In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You probably all have friends like the Apostle James, who wrote our epistle reading this morning. I happen to have one in my life, and he is always right. I don't mean that he thinks he's always right. I mean that he is always right. His ability to diagnose cuts me to the quick. Now, he is a friend and often a good friend and tells me what I, want to, what I need to hear rather than what I want to hear. And yet, he's the kind of guy you wouldn't want to invite to a party. They're good to have around, but their presence can be dreadful. Well, so piercing is my friend in his insight that at times I will go to great lengths to avoid him. And one day while in Charleston, South Carolina, there I was on King Street with all the shops and the restaurants and the busy pedestrian traffic there on the sidewalk. And I heard my cell phone ring and so I took it out of my pocket and I took one look at it and the caller ID came up and it was my friend St. James. And so seeing that it was him, I quickly pushed the ignore button and folded it up and put it back into my pocket and began to walk south on King Street down toward Ben Silver until I heard my name being called by someone across the street, and I looked, and it was my friend James. (laughs) Well, thankfully, uh, we do have James is in our life, and this morning uh, we can't ignore James in his epistle. But thankfully this morning, too, James does not leave us in misery. He doesn't just give us the truth about ourselves. And even though he does do that, he ends with a promise. Unfortunately, many have a hard time hearing this promise in the midst of all the truth-telling about ourselves. There is an impression amongst many that God is partial towards certain groups of people. That is, that God loves a certain group a little bit more than he loves others. Children, people of a certain race or culture, the poor, the dispossessed, meaning that God then loves other groups a little bit less. The rich, the powerful, the influential. Typically these biases are based more on what we feel in our hearts and our own personal experiences than what the Bible has to say about whom God loves. Niebuhr once said, In the beginning, God created man in his own image. And since then, we've been trying to return the favor. Many have fallen into this fallacy and assumed that God loves certain groups over others. It is true that here in James' epistle, he's really given it to those who have a bias against the poor. It's part of our nature to hold biases, to be partial. We can't help it. Even so, we know that God shows no partiality. However, it has to be noted that we see the Bible giving the rich a hard time because they are often the hardest to crack. Those who seem to be the most resistant to the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for sinners, are the rich and the religious. 
After all, the largest group that followed our Lord and Savior were the sinners and the tax collectors, those whom Jesus affiliated with, those whom he ate with, those despair, who, there were those who disparaged Jesus for aligning himself with them. And yet, why was it that the sinners and the tax collectors followed Jesus around and not those who were well-to-do, the proper, the religious? Because those who are sinners and tax collectors know what it means to be broken. Karl Barth once said that the easiest congregation that he ever preached to were prisoners in prison. Because you didn't, it didn't take long to convince them that they were transgressors. And that was the group that followed Jesus around because they knew that they were in need of a Savior. The overarching message in the Bible is that though, regardless of our backgrounds, that we are all in the same boat. We are all biased sinners to the nth degree. But here's the catch. God does have a bias. It's towards sinners. We have all failed in at least one point of the law. And as James says, if we have failed even in one point, we are guilty of breaking it all. This ought to be a warning against self-righteousness, but it's easy to slide into bias or partiality. I'm reminded by my own life of the scene where the Pharisee and the tax collector in the synagogue together and the Pharisee prays, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. Meanwhile, the tax collector prays, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Now, I'd like to say that I'm in that latter category of the tax collector, but sadly, I find myself more often than not in the category of the Pharisee. But when my life is held up against this royal law, as St. James calls it, my only response If I am self-aware, if I know that I am a sinner, my only response, as the liturgy teaches us, is to cry out, Lord, have mercy. This is the work of the Spirit. Because the work of the flesh causes us to cry out, let's try a little bit harder. My grandfather was a respectable sort of gentleman who came to faith later in life through, he said, one particular incident. And it was an occasion in which my grandfather uh, was driving my uncle and uh, my father in the back seat. They were in the back of the car and my grandfather was driving. And my father and his siblings were raised in the church and it seemed to have had, they had at least imbibed some of the Christian faith. For as they were driving... They were singing a little song in the back seat. Now, this was before they told you put seat belts on the child. You know, we all cringe to think of how children used to travel in like laundry baskets and things like that. And so one of the boys was lying on the back seat and the other was lying on the floorboard there in the back. And from the back of the car, they were singing a song that they had learned in church at the top of their lungs. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. And of course, when they would get to the amen, they would yell, amen. And eventually, even my respectable grandfather couldn't help but join in. 
And as they arrive at the last verse where they're all supposed to do all three, that is clap, stomp, and shout amen, they had rolled up to a red light and with the front driver's side window rolled down, my grandfather was singing, if you're saved and you know it, do all three, clap, clap, stomp, stomp, amen. And he looked to his left and saw very two respectable older ladies uh, looking at him. Now, of course, They saw only my grandfather because my uncle and father were lying down in the back. And so they must have thought that he was nuts, intoxicated, or worse. And as the light turned green, these ladies sped off. And my grandfather said that there was something in him that wanted to speed up and to catch up with those ladies and explain that it was the two little boys in the back seat. And it was because of them that he was singing, stomping, clapping, and yelling. But like most parents who have been caught in similar situations, he thought, who cares? But as he began to accelerate through the green light, they came to the verse of the song, If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. The boys kept singing, but my grandfather stopped. Conviction set in. He thought, Lord... Does my life surely show it? Well, where do you go from here? When you look at your life held up against the royal law and you ask, well, Lord, do I live a royal life? There are two places you can go. Do you think that if I at least attempt to be good and keep the royal law, That God will give me credit and love me a little more? Will he show me partiality? Or at the least, look the other way when I do something bad? If only. For James reminds us that even if we have broken one law, no matter how little, you are guilty of breaking it all. It turns out that we are just as guilty. And in the same boat is someone who has done it all, who we might consider a far worse sinner than we regard ourselves. Or are you the type of person who looks at their life and says, Lord, my life does not surely show it. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And you turn to his grace and trust in his love. Because in the midst of this truth-telling, we hear the promise of the gospel from James. Mercy triumphs over judgment. No matter who you are, your socioeconomic background, your race, your culture, what neighborhood you live in, what car you drive, if you're a sinner, God is biased toward you. If you are confident in your own strength, your own abilities. His justice is perfect and His judgment is without mercy. But when you find yourself struggling against the flesh, against your sinful biases, and when you think that you are far beyond the reach of God's grace, hear these words this morning. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen.